Second Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to pick out a few verses throughout this chapter. <clears throat> and we're going to start at verse 1. It says, It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them others beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Jehoshaphat, whatever you prefer. And then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazontamah, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord, proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And going down to verse 13, as a product of these people seeking the Lord, it says, And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye, or listen, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 17 says, You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And then in verse 20, it says, And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. So shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that should praise the beauty of of holiness as they went out before the army and to say praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever and when they had began to sing and to praise the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir which were come against Judah and they were smitten and the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir utterly to slay and destroy them and when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Mount Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. Now let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your presence that is here. Lord, you've spoken to us, Lord, through the gifts of the Spirit, through the songs that we've sung, through the testimonies of our brother and sister. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that there would be faith in your house this morning. Lord, that we would desire your will to be done. Lord, that we would be surrendered to you and to your will, Lord, and to allow you to do the supernatural. In our midst today, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. There are, in the Old Testament, throughout the whole Old Testament, there's a lot of battles that are recorded. Uh, in fact, the, the Old Testament has an awful lot of conflict. Conflict between nations, conflict between tribes, and even between individuals. And oftentimes in the scripture, we find the people of God in a situation where they are outnumbered or caught in a battle that they don't look likely to survive. 
And the Lord again and again shows up, miraculously gives them victory, that they might be reminded yet again that he deserves all the glory and that it is not by might nor by power, but by his spirit, that he, he deliberately used the insignificance of Israel in the scheme of things to demonstrate that it was about him and not about them. Amen. And when you look at the Old Testament, the Lord brought victory in a variety of ways. Uh, in Joshua chapter 10, it talks about a battle where the Lord sent great hailstones against their enemies. That's, that would be an, in, an incredible sign to see. There's another part of the scripture where it's, the Lord said that he would drive out the enemy with hornets. And there are places where the Lord sent plagues and various things that the Lord did to supernaturally give deliverance to his people. And if you were here on Wednesday night, you remember that we talked about the, the, the visible and the invisible realm. And if what happened physically or literally in the Old Testament is an indicator or a type of what happens spiritually for us in the New Testament, then what we must always remember and always remind ourselves of and do everything we can not to forget is that we are in a battle. That we're in a battle. We live in a land of peace. Very few of us here have lived long enough to remember much in the way of conflict that even threatened this country. We may remember conflict that our country was involved in overseas, but we've not been through civil war in, in the modern sense of that word or, in, or seen conflict on our own country in the sense of armies against armies. And the devil, we must always remember. You see, you get up on a sunny Sunday morning, which has been a little bit rare in the last few days, and you come to church in your comfortable air-conditioned vehicle on your nice paved roads and your nice clothes. You've probably had a good breakfast and live in a comfortable house, slept in a comfortable bed, and it is easy to forget that the abstract peace that we have in that which is visible is not paralleled with what is going on in that which is invisible. And we are in a battle. We are in a conflict and nowhere in the scripture is the devil ever described as being a little bit difficult or simply having a different worldview than God's people. But the scripture describes him as a thief that desires to steal, to kill and to destroy. It calls him the accuser of the brethren. It says that he is our adversary or our adversary and that he wants to devour us. It describes him as the tempter. In other words, the one that wants to do everything that he can to assist us in choosing a path of sin, in choosing a lifestyle that is contrary to the instruction, commandments and principles of God's word. Why? Because he wants to see us destroyed. And we need to remember that. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, it says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now, if you know the Scriptures, you understand that this passage has a prophetic application about the end times. But the principle that is found here can be applied right now. 
If we fall into the wrong mindset and think that we are in a time of peace and safety, sudden destruction in the spiritual and that which is invisible can come upon us. There are no peace treaties on the table for the church with the devil. He is not interested in peace. He is not interested in us overcoming our differences through dialogue and conversation. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy the church of the living God. And as you see prophecy being fulfilled at a rate that is, from one perspective, frightening, but from another perspective, exciting, his intensity does not wane, but rather it it increases. And we need to remember and to realize and to recognize that in the midst of our natural comfort, it is not time to say peace and safety. But it is time to be on guard because the enemy of our souls desires to destroy us. In the natural, if you lay down your weapons in the middle of an active conflict or war, you instantly surrender your freedom and you become what is known as a prisoner of war. And you are taken captive behind enemy lines. Your liberty is taken away. Your freedom to do and to be and to go are taken away. You may live in the sense of existing, but you are a prisoner of the enemy because you have surrendered your weapons in a time of conflict. And there are too many people, hear me this morning, too many people who think it's okay to lay down their weapons in this battle and have found themselves as prisoners of war in the spiritual realm. They may be alive, everything may seem to be some form of existence, but they do not have the freedom or the liberty or the the control of their lives that they once had because they laid down their lives. God forbid that the church would lay down her weapons. I'm here this morning to remind us that we are at war, that we are not in a time of peace, but we are. look at what is happening in our society and what is being promoted and being forced upon society in terms of civil liberties, in quotation marks, and thinking and lifestyles and perspectives that the world is forcing upon us. We are not in a time of peace. But not only am I here this morning to remind us that we are at war, but to remind us of another factor. And let's have a look at two passages of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 10 and Ephesians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 10, and many of you could quote these verses. Verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I like that verse, not just because it reminds us that this is a spiritual battle, but it draws a comparison between the weapons we have which are mighty, and the things that are carnal, which are weak by comparison. And verse 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And Ephesians chapter 6, 
you've got that as well, verse 12 says, For we wrestle not. Our struggle, our combat is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now, we started out with a passage in Second Chronicles chapter 20, where it lets us know that there were three forces, or armies we might say, that came together against Judah. There was Moab, Ammon, and the children of Mount Seir. But when the people of God stood together, stood still, lifted up their voices in praise to the Lord. The scripture says that God sent confusion or ambushments. He brought chaos into the enemy camp. And in that confusion, the children of Ammon and Moab began to attack the children of Mount Seir. And when they finished with them, they began to attack one another. And so Judah won the victory that day without firing an arrow or swinging a single sword because of what the Lord caused to happen in the enemy's camp. Now, you'll find there are several places throughout Scripture where the Lord uses confusion in battle to cause the enemy to fight himself. There are at least three that I'm aware of. There are possibly more where the Lord intervenes and through the instruction that he gives his people, their enemies actually begin to slaughter one another because of the chaos and the confusion that ensues. And we, we rejoice in the account of these God-given victories. But we need to recognize and not to be so naive to think that the enemy of our souls does not want to use a similar tactic in the church. Amen. Last week, I preached about why I still believe. But the three Sunday mornings before that, if you were here, we were in the midst of a time of 21 days of preparation, of praying and fasting together, there was a thread that ran through the messages that I preached on those Sunday mornings that you may not have noticed, and that's okay because I didn't notice it until the Lord pointed it out to me. When we introduced our theme for 2017, which is first the kingdom, I read the verses from Matthew 3 of how a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand and how a house, if it's divided against itself, will not stand. And then the following week, we preached about worshipping together. I mean, you looked at the story of, of Joseph and his brethren and how that if our Judah or our praise needs to be mature enough to the place that we place our brethren above ourselves, how Judah in his flesh, even though his name meant praise, he was not concerned about the well-being of his brethren, but as time went by, he was willing to stand in the gap for them. And to take their place. And then the third week, we ministered on its time to be in the kingdom of how we all need to come through that door which Jesus said he was. And how we all need to be together in the parallel from the Old Testament was the ark. But the New Testament is the church. And these things are not by coincidence. And uh, even this morning when I was in prayer, I knew that we were going to face some opposition this morning. And all this week while I've been praying, I've been troubled. You ever been in prayer and you just feel like something's not settling? You don't necessarily know what it is, but you just feel like, Lord, there's something that's, that's not right. All week I've felt troubled in my spirit and felt concerned for the church. 
And we have been praying and fasting together and we have seen the Lord move in our midst. We've seen people being baptized and receiving the Holy Ghost. We've had great times of prayer together and testimonies of miraculous healings when people have been prayed for and the Lord providing jobs and, and natural needs. And yet, <coughs> excuse me, somehow it still seems to take us by surprise that when we seek God's face, that opposition comes. We've been walking with the Lord for any period of time. You ought to recognize that when you seek His face, there is somebody that does not want that to happen. And it is not unusual for opposition to come. We are in a war. Amen. If you take nothing else home this morning, you are in a war. Amen. We are in a battle that our souls depend upon. And all week, as I've been praying, I have felt this concern. And yet I had no idea what the Lord wanted me to minister this morning. I didn't know. I just didn't feel any direction. But while I was talking with the Lord yesterday afternoon, I felt that concern come upon me again. And then the Lord just spoke to me two words. He said, friendly fire. Friendly fire. And that's really what I'm wanting to minister about this morning for just a few minutes. The victory that we read about in our opening text was a result of God-ordained confusion amongst the enemies of Judah. But in the battlefield, in the natural, during times of war, when confusion comes through one source or another, sometimes soldiers will accidentally fire upon their own comrades, their own comrades, and this is referred to as friendly fire. It is no less deadly than being shot at by the enemy, but it's called friendly fire because it comes from those who shouldn't be firing at one another. They used to refer to it as fratricide or the killing of one's own brothers or sisters, but there's another word that they have, I don't know if they put it together or that they use now, which is amesicide, I think is how it's pronounced, which means the killing of one's friends. The unintentional engagement of one friendly unit by another. And when you investigate this subject, you'll find that way back through history, it has happened during conflicts much more than you might expect. When you look it up, it's actually quite terrifying the amount of uh, reports and accounts there are of people being casualties, losing their lives and being injured because of friendly fire. A couple of examples that I found, and the, there was plenty to choose from, but even in the U.S. Civil War, which is a long time ago, there was a famous general named Stonewall Jackson who was killed by friendly fire. And some historians suggest that the outcome of the war may have been different had he not been killed because of his leadership abilities. But because he was killed, he obviously wasn't in the war anymore. In the Gulf War, in much more recent history, I think the first Gulf War, it is estimated that something like 23% of casualties were a result of friendly fire. 23%. It's nearly one in every four people. And there have been studies that have been done into the psychological effects of friendly fire. After all, everybody expects the enemy to attack, right? It's war. You expect the enemy to shoot at you. You'd be surprised, maybe pleasantly, but surprised if they didn't. But they suggest that there is something that is very, very psychologically disturbing about being shot at by your own side. 
Friendly fire happens for a variety of reasons that all come under the broad heading of confusion. And this list is not exhaustive, but these are some of the ones I have. One is the misunderstanding of instructions. Another one is miscommunication of instructions. Or when one or both parties find themselves in the wrong place, taken a, a different direction or been somewhere they shouldn't have been. And obvious one that's perhaps a bit more obvious is failure to recognize the uniforms of either friends or foes. Now the result of friendly fire is confusion, mistrust, withdrawal from the battle, and even anger, and possibly even retaliation. There are accounts where soldiers have been fired upon or shelled by their own troops, and in anger and retaliation they've responded by firing back, and casualties have been a, a result of both directions of the fire. Military leaders in the natural world do not like to talk much about friendly fire, not only because it's embarrassing for them, but friendly fire, when it becomes broadcast, produces two outcomes that every military wants to avoid. The first one is it's devastating to morale. When soldiers lose their lives at the hand of their own brethren, the way that it makes them feel as a unit or as a body, or as a battalion, however large a group it may be, it devastates how they feel about their support for one another, about their willingness to go to battle with one another, about how they feel like they can, you know, you think, well, how can we win a war if we're killing each other? And the second outcome that military leaders want to try to avoid is the huge impact that it has on public confidence. When those that aren't soldiers, when the civilians hear about how our soldiers are in a battlefield and they've been killing each other, it doesn't make them feel very good or have much confidence in their armed forces, as you can appreciate. And I see a lot of parallels here between natural armies and the spiritual one that we are in. We do not fire bullets at one another, at least I hope we never do, but in our interactions with one another. And when I speak on this subject, I'm not speaking from the pulpit to you. I'm speaking to all of us. I'm very much in this loop because I'm very aware, or perhaps not as aware as I should be, that I'm guilty of friendly fire as much as anybody else. But when we misunderstand communication, we take something in a fashion that it wasn't meant to be, or when we deliver communication in a fashion that wasn't the best way it could have been delivered, when... We're in the wrong place, and that might not be physically, it might be spiritually. When we're struggling spiritually or our relationship with God is not what it ought to be, we're a lot more susceptible to misinterpretation. When your own relationship with God and how you see your walk with God is, is not healthy, it's very easy to misinterpret somebody else's actions or words. When we fail to recognize who is really our enemy and who is really our friend. Amen. It produces very similar results to what it does in the natural world. It produces confusion. It produces mistrust. It can cause people who have been faithful to the Lord to withdraw from the battle. I've lived this life long enough and walked with the Lord long enough that I know a lot of people that have pulled out of the battle because of friendly fire. Now, it's never justified. Let me say that again. 
I'm not making light of any friendly fire, but we're in this for the Lord. If you walk away from God because of the actions or words of somebody else, the reality is it's not fair on God. He didn't do it. And we need to have the faith to trust Him, even when those things happen. Amen. Friendly fire in the kingdom of God can be devastating to morale, to how the church feels about the church, to how the church feels about one another. That friendly fire can, can really have an impact on that. And just like in the natural world, if the church is killing each other, what's the world going to think? What's the public confidence going to be like? Amen. Bless the Lord. We need to be aware of that. One of the things in the, the research that I did and the things that I read about friendly fire in the battlefield was that military leaders acknowledge that everything must be done to reduce it, but they will never eliminate it. That's what they've said. They said because of the pressure and the intensity and the speed of battle and the situations that often happen very quickly, it is going to happen. They say we want to do everything we can to minimize it, but war is war. And war produces casualties. And casualties happen on the good side and on the bad side sometimes in a war. And so we have to recognize both of those things apply to us in the church as well. We need to do everything that we can to minimize casualties among us. But at the same time, as you grow and mature in the Lord, you're going to have to recognize they'll never be eradicated because we're in a church full of people that are flawed. Not even the best sniper in the world hits the target every time. Sometimes things happen that shouldn't happen and it's going to happen. And we have to make up our mind that if I get caught in friendly fire, I'm still on the Lord's side. I'm staying in the battle regardless of what happens. And that's easy, don't, I don't want to be discouraging, that's easy to clap and raise our hands, but actually doing it is not as easy as it is to say. Amen. Around, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago, it's too long that I like to remember, I was very privileged, and some of you know this, and there's a point to this, this is not about me, but I was very privileged to be made the National Youth Leader of Australia. And when I was given that position, I turned around, as it were, and I looked back down through history, and I couldn't find a youth leader, national youth president before me that was still walking with God. And I thought, well, this is a good job. It's kind of like, you know, here, take this job because then you're going to walk away from the Lord. And when they made me the youth president, not because of anything that I am, but I said to the Lord, I do not care what happens. I didn't know what all their reasons were. I don't know what happened in their lives. I wasn't there. But I said, it does not matter what happens, whether it's from the enemy or from within my own ranks. I'm not walking away from God because of this. Amen. Now, I'm still in the church there, and that was easy to say back then, but I've got to keep still saying it now. 2002 is a long time ago. We've got to still make up our mind that regardless of what comes my way, I'm going to be in this thing until the end. Amen. That's why Ephesians says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. What we have to understand, and I'm nearly done, Cass, if I could have you on the piano, please. What we have to understand is that our interactions, our relationship, our communication, the time that we spend 
happens with flesh and blood that we can see. But the battle is happening at a level that we cannot see. And being able to separate the two is very, very hard for us. Because what happens to us in the natural, we want to respond to in the natural. When sometimes we have to step back and say, I'm seeing this in the natural, but there's something happening that is spiritual that I'm not seeing. And learn to choose our battles. You see, God will use other people to mold us. We talked about that a little while back. But the Lord uses our imperfections to help one another to grow. And we don't like that. We, 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 we know that this is the family of God and that God's love is here. We don't like the fact that sometimes we do rub each other the wrong way. But we do. We all do. I do. I stood in this pulpit a little while back and I'm going to try and do it again from time to time and say if I have offended you and I don't know about it, I'm sorry. And I'm not saying that to be flippant. I mean that sincerely. We do offend each other. This is my 20th year in Western Australia. I can promise you in the last 20 years. I, I, I can name offenses that I'm aware of. There's a lot that I don't know about. But the Lord puts us together and he allows some of that to change us. Because we say, the Lord, Lord, change me. And we have this mindset that somehow if you pray that before you go to bed, that when you wake up in the morning, it'll just be done. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And Lord, change me. And we get up and have our breakfast and just think that somehow it miraculously happened during the night. But the Lord uses processes. Not just a pill or a needle. He doesn't say, well, you're, you've been vaccinated now. You'll never have an anger problem again. But the Lord uses the processes of life and one another to fashion us. But at the same time, the enemy uses people to try to destroy us. The challenge is being able to recognize which is which. And sometimes you can't because depending where you're at, you might be thinking it's the enemy when it's actually the Lord or vice versa. But here's what we have to do. We have to be able to say, well, this is what I'm seeing in the natural. But look beyond that and see where the battle really is. I'm going through something that, with somebody that's causing my flesh to rise up. There's probably a good chance the Lord's using that to mold me. And I've got to try, and Lord knows it's not easy, to say, Lord, bring about the change in me that you want to through this process. But then at the same time, we've got to be able to say, Lord, if, you know, help me not to war against flesh and blood. I know these are easy things to say because they're things you'll have to do for the rest of your walk with God. And we have to do everything we can to eliminate friendly fire. Bless the Lord. When we, when we misunderstand the purpose of God or we fail to recognize the work of the enemy, we can retaliate and react and fire on our own brethren. And that's not what God wants. Scripture says in Ephesians 6 and 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It's not a word we use every day of the week, but it means his methods, his cunning, his trickery. Because that's what he wants to do. If the Lord could give Israel the battle by causing their enemies to fight one another, 
then the devil wants us to fight one another to take our victory from us. Now, I'm not justifying any offense. We've got to try to do better at that through the Spirit of the Lord. But 2 Corinthians 2 and 11 says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, nowadays, you talk about somebody's devices, it means their iPhone. But it's talking about his methods and his tactics and his techniques. When you read the context of that verse of Scripture, the, the verses that lead up to it is where Paul is teaching the Corinthians about restoring a brother who had sinned and who had offended them and forgiving him. And he, from the platform of forgiving somebody who's done something they shouldn't have done, he says, let's not let the devil use his devices against us. He brought in that parallel between our interpersonal relationship with somebody they could see and said there's a spiritual principle at work happening here as well. And we've got to be able to see the two. Bless the Lord. Stand with me if you would this morning. I'm not done yet. I'm nearly done. There are two things that I want us to think about this morning. I'm going to open the altar in a minute, and there's two things. God is moving in our midst. I'm not just saying that because I'm the pastor. I see it. I believe it. We're seeing people respond to the gospel. We're seeing people restored. But the Lord wants to do great things in our midst. And there's a couple of things that this is what I feel like the Lord's impressed upon my heart this morning. He wants to bring us closer together. Or in other words, what I mean by that is that we would have a greater love one for another as a part of what he wants to do. But before, or as a part of doing that, and I've spent some time talking to some folks about this over recent months, he wants to make us whole as individuals. Because if we are wounded, we're much more likely to shoot first and ask questions later. And so if the Lord can heal us, he can bring us closer together. And then he's able to do what he wants to do. We need to do everything we can by the Spirit of God and the love of God to minimize friendly fire. But we've also got to be mature enough to recognize we're never going to eradicate it. What, we do, what do we do with it? We come to the Lord and say, Lord, take it. Heal it. You know, when somebody's hurt you, and I'm just doing my best to feel after the Lord right now, the Bible talks about blessing your enemies rather than cursing them. It talks about doing good to those that hate you, praying for those that despise you. All of these things are not natural. But if we can reach a point where we can begin to pray for a situation or a relationship with somebody that we can see, God can make us whole in the areas that can't be seen. Hallelujah. Bow your heads with me this morning. Close your eyes. This cast leads us in a worship chorus. Just want you to let the Holy Ghost. I know this is a little bit of an unusual message, but let's let the Spirit of God. Don't just brush this off for somebody else. You're in need of wholeness this morning. The healer is here. We know in our hearts and in our minds that the love of God needs to rule and reign in our midst. But while there isn't wholeness, that's very hard for that to happen. And you may have been the victim of friendly fire. Things may have happened in an environment where they shouldn't happen. But God is still our healer. 
He's still our healer and He wants to minister to you this morning. So this altar is open. You want to bring your wounds to Him. Bring your hurts to Him. Bring the things that have cut, the things that you are hiding down in your heart that are affecting your relationships. That are affecting your relationship with God. God wants to heal and He wants to restore this morning. In the name of Jesus.